Good morning. Uh, we're continuing our studies uh, of the book of the Revelation. Uh, we've been studying uh, Matthew chapter 24. And of great interest to all of us is the prophecies concerning the last days and all of the things that are taking place in our world. And so we've been trying to look at that. And I'm continually asked by people uh, concerning the signs of the uh, coming of the Lord. And we've looked at that because the disciples were as interested in when the Lord was going to come back as we are today. And on two uh, occasions that we read in Scripture at different time periods, the disciples uh, before the Lord was crucified came to Him and asked Him, uh, when is the end of the world? And you're talking about going away. When are you coming back? And so they understood something about the second coming. And so in chapter 24 of Matthew and also in chapter 25, the Lord is laying out the sequence of events that are going to characterize this world before He comes back. And the first thing that he said was, Take heed that no man deceive you. And so the first question concerning his return was before he was crucified. But then after he was crucified and resurrected from the dead, in Acts chapter 1, they come to him with the same question. When are you coming back? When it's going to be the end of the world? And the Lord tells them, that it's not for them to know. Uh, <clears throat> the times and seasons that God has placed in his own power. So he made that statement. That's the second time in scripture that we find that phrase. Times and seasons. The other time is in his letter to the Thessalonians. In the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. He talks about. Paul talks about the times and seasons and how that we're not ignorant concerning the times and seasons. As a matter of fact, we know them perfectly because Paul taught the times and seasons with a perfect understanding of what that meant. And so, as I've emphasized here in Acts chapter 1, and I think it's 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8. The Lord Jesus makes it absolutely clear that no one is capable of understanding the times and seasons that God the Father has kept in His own power. But then He said the most amazing thing. And this is why I've tried to emphasize it. He said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so, the secret of the Father is in 
the the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and He's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And so when Pentecost came, the disciples were enabled to understand for the first time the times and seasons. And so that's one of the things that we have tried to get something of a handle on because the tribulation period doesn't have to do with times and seasons. So the Lord is addressing the church in terms of the things that are characteristic of the church age. And then when he turns his attention after the rapture of the church back to Israel, his wife, um, the circumstances are somewhat different. And days and hours become a distinctive characteristic of the tribulation period itself after the church is gone. And so it tells us in a number of places um, that the period of time is seven years. Time, times and a half is seven years. He talks about it in days. Uh, what was it? 1,260 days. And so you have days that you can actually calculate in terms of when events are going to occur. That is not the case in the church age. He also uh, presented it to us in the form of months. 42 months. 42 months is also three and a half years. And so it's very important in studying the Bible to understand the distinction that the Lord makes concerning his bride, the church, and how he's going to deal with the church as compared to how he's going to deal with Israel. There's a radical difference. And so the last time we were together, I tried to develop some thoughts out of Matthew 24 to show you that the Lord is speaking uh, in a twofold manner in his answer to the question of the disciples, when are you going to come back? Part of the reason is because the disciples are not a part of the Old Testament uh, personalities that we read about. The disciples... Uh, <clears throat> were the, some of the first uh, personalities that would be a part of the bride, the church. And so the church began at Pentecost and, uh, and the disciples are not reckoned with Israel of the Old Testament. They are part of the New Testament, a part of the bride of, of Christ. And it's very important for us to understand that. 
And so when the disciples go to him in Matthew 24, inquiring about when he's going to come back, he is addressing them as the body of Christ, the church, and he's simultaneously addressing the tribulation period. And there's no way that you can read the 24th chapter of Matthew and not see a distinction in his answer to the disciples. So when he talks about the uh, when he talks about the uh, uh, fig tree and he introduces us to that word summer you know that summer is nigh then I think a, a careful study of, of scripture would cause a person to recognize that as something that the Lord was describing for the purpose for the sake of the church, the bride of Christ. And so again, when the disciples come to the Lord and ask Him in Matthew 24, when are you coming back? His answer is twofold. And so you have to look for the distinctiveness of the language and what He's saying as it would pertain to the church and as it would pertain to Israel as a nation and their conversion during the tribulation period. And so the disciples who are members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the Lord is answering them in terms of times and seasons. And so when he talks about summer, being nigh when you behold the fig tree, he's bringing to the attention of the church times and seasons. So I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but I, I think it's critically important that we understand that the phrase times and seasons is a phrase that applies only to the church dispensation and the bride of Christ. When it goes into the language pertaining to the actual tribulation period itself, it's a horrific scene. And again, the way the Lord characterizes it in contrast to times and seasons is in terms of years and days and months. You do not have that kind of language or description as it relates to the church. And so once again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uses the phrase times and seasons. Acts chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 is talking about times and seasons. And again, the Lord is answering the disciples' question, when are you going to come back? before he went to the cross and then he answers them back the second time with that phrase times and seasons after his resurrection 
If you understand that part of what we've been looking at, I think many of the passages in Scripture will fall into place and it will begin to make more sense to you. Because the, Lord, the Lord's manner of revealing Himself is He's addressing the church, which is His bride, and he's addressing the other love of his life, his wife, Israel. And so he's addressing both. And we need to see this distinctiveness in the revelation from heaven or we're going to get confused. You can't mix it up. What God has joined together, uh, you don't separate. And what God separates, you don't join together. And so that's a principle of Bible study that I think is very important in terms of understanding these things. Now, back to the question of when is the Lord going to take us out of here. The times and seasons, the indicators are all around us. And we're going to look at some of these things this morning. But there are ten different things that I'd like to bring to your attention that I started on last week that I think are going to occur somewhat simultaneous with such close proximity. We might say that these things uh, are the beginning of the seven years of tribulation. And so there, the first thing that's going to take place is actually the rapture of the church, which is imminent. It could happen any moment because there's nothing else left to have to happen before the Lord takes us out of here. The stage is set. Everything that the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus Christ has... Uh, has matured to the point that there's nothing left to have to be done for the Lord to return um, other than His infinite wisdom uh, concerning His knowledge of the souls of the people on the face of this earth in the context that he is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Only God knows in his infinite wisdom when that moment has come and there is no remedy remaining. There's no place for mercy or grace anymore. Only God knows that. But we can study the scriptures in terms of how God thinks. And we can see it uh, in the days of Noah when his deity, as it were, was exhausted in the preaching of Noah. And there was no way that preaching anymore was going to uh, be beneficial. We see it also in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord uh, is 
is manifesting his forbearance and his mercy and his grace, uh, his patience, all those virtues that characterize God are manifest there in that situation with uh, Abraham and Lot and the revelation to Abraham that he was going to absolutely destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we can see that there was no remedy remaining for them. And so he sends the angels with um, Lot to get his family out because the Lord said, I can't do anything until they're taken out. I cannot destroy them. I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. God does not do that. And that's why the rapture of the church is so critical to understand. This is, this is the way God thinks. And so he puts a difference between his people and the people of this world who hate him. And the Sodomites hated God. And so we learn in the final analysis that there was less than 10 people in Sodom that knew God. And the only ones that ended up saved was Lot and his two daughters. Three people. Uh, And the rest were destroyed, including Lot's wife. Uh, And so when it comes to the rapture of the church is because God can no longer accomplish anything through the teaching of His Word. That's why it's so important for people who happen to go to a church where the truth is being preached to understand uh, how close they are to the end of this dispensation of mercy and grace. It's a time for us to be thinking about our children, our loved ones, our acquaintances in town that we see every day that are not saved. And we ought to be burdened to invite them to the church to hear the teaching of the Word of God. And so the rapture of the church is the first thing in terms of the timetable before the tribulation period actually begins. And I think somewhat simultaneous to that event in close proximity is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39 where you have the northern invasion. And again, we see on the political scene today uh, those developments over there And I'm telling you from God's Word, Ukraine is not going to win over there the way the news reports are going out and so forth. There's so much in the way of fake news, as Donald Trump says. It's it's risky to believe anything that comes over the, uh, the news reporting. 
And uh, the reason I know and can say with all confidence that Russia is very much alive and well and powerful is because of what the Bible has to say in Ezekiel 38 and 39. They They are going to invade the Middle East. There is no doubt about it. And all these other things that are taking place in the country, nothing is going to disannul the Word of God. Uh, so, um, things are, are set up over there with Russia and their allies. They're somewhat... Uh, tied right now with China and the wealth of China and all that. God is in control of all of this. And the means is certainly there for Russia to do what they intend to do. Now, it's also important to understand that the Lord described the last days as being uh, in terms of putting together the new world order, it would be as futile as trying to combine iron and clay. It's not going to mix. And so everything that has to do with the new world order is not going to work. It's going to be a constant struggle right to the very end. And so nothing is smooth about it. And so there is no love between China and Russia. There just isn't. But they have mutual interests. And so uh, China is, is uh, a, a, a communist nation. Russia is a communist nation. Um, what, what do communists despise? Well, they despise Christianity. That's what they despise. Um, the two most hated groups on the face of the earth today is the Jew and the Christian. They're two most hated groups. Why? Because both of these groups believe that there's an infallible God out there and they believe that He is. And they believe that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But he's a diligent rewarder of those that do not seek him too. With wrath. And that's what tribulation is all about. Well, how are you going to pull off a dictatorship like in China and in Russia uh, when such a large portion of the world believe that ultimate authority is in heaven. It's not in a dictator. And so they've got a, a reason for getting together with a common hatred of this book. That's what it's all about. And think about the uh, allies of Russia in terms of the Arab world. The Arabs do not love Russian communism. 
There's nothing whatsoever to bring them together into some kind of happy marriage. Because they believe in Allah. <laughs> He's just not the God of the Bible. And uh, But they have a, a mutual interest in the destruction of Israel. Because the Muslim world hates the Jew. And so does Russia. And Russia hates America. Why? Because we are a Christian nation. And it's the Jew and the Christian that is the only obstacle to the New World Order. It's the only obstacle there is. Is this book. The Bible. And so... Um, the second main thing that's going to uh, initiate the seven years of tribulation is the Russian invasion where it makes it very clear in both those chapters that God will be recognized as being real by the whole earth. The world will know that I am the Lord by my intervention and what I'm going to do because there is no natural explanation for why Russia would not succeed in that invasion. And they would if God himself did not intervene and stop it. But he has promised with an everlasting covenant that he would bless his people and his word would stand. And no matter what man collectively in the whole world would pur purpose otherwise, it would come to nothing. Because what goes out of the Lord's mouth is going gonna, is gonna to happen. I, I want to read to you um, a verse, if I can put my finger on it right quick. It's out of Isaiah 14. Brother Charles mentioned this the other some months ago uh, in a message, uh, but it's it's the one that that has to do with uh, Lucifer, his desire to ascend up uh, into the sides of the north to sit upon the throne of God and all of that. But in the twenty fourth verse of this chapter, it says something that's so precious and so important. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Folks, that's the power of Bible prophecy. That's a powerful statement right there in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 14 and verse 24. So when it comes to what this Bible teaches, this is what the Apostle Peter was referring to when he said, uh, even though we have seen the Lord transfigured on the holy mount, you have a more sure 
word of prophecy. The power of God's word is is fixed for all eternity. And there's absolutely nothing that can get in the way of God's will being done. And that's what we learn as we study the Bible. God's will is going to be done. The next thing that's going to happen is that man of sin is going to be revealed. At the tribulation period, uh, the Antichrist, that man of sin, it's going to be possible at that point uh, to know his identity because of certain things that are going to be taking place. Um, It is not possible to know who that is at this point. The Bible is very clear that it's going to take the intervention of God himself into the world in the form of of unprecedented judgments before that it will be possible for that to be known. Another thing that's going to happen almost simultaneously with the Russian invasion, the rapture of the church, and the man of sin being revealed is the two witnesses coming down because they testify for three and a half years. And so the question is, uh, who are they? And some say Enoch and Elijah, and some say Enoch and Moses. Now, you're not going to lose your soul forever because you do not identify, you know, who these two personalities are. And so any pursuit in trying to define them... uh, uh, I think you have to just uh, uh, categorize it as it not being wrong to think about it, it not being wrong to study the Bible extensively to try to discover who they may be. The very fact that God even mentions it. uh, I think that you can sprinkle over the entire Bible every mystery that's in it. There's a passionate desire on the part of God that we study His Word. And with our imaginations, strain them to try to understand it more and more and deeper and deeper because God is deep. He's a great thinker. He's the philosopher of philosophers. He is wisdom. He is wisdom. He is the love of wisdom, which is what philosophy means. And and so when it comes to the question, I'm going to offer a thought, and I'm not going to tell you which I think that it is because I do not know, but I have some interesting thoughts on it. The two witnesses are primarily going to be reaching out to Israel. And Israel is going to get converted. And two really prominent figures in Israel's history 
is uh, Elijah, and I don't think there's any question about the fact that one of those personalities is Elijah. And so the question remains, would it be Enoch, who has never died, and so the idea is, if he has never died, then he's got to die at some point, and in uh, Revelation chapter 11, these two witnesses die. Well, Elijah didn't die either. And so if it's appointed that a man wants to die, then it makes all the difference and uh, reason in the world that these, these men would have to die at some point. And so I don't know exactly how to remedy all of that other than saying a lot of people, I think, mistakenly think that at the rapture, those that are alive and remain do not die. I beg to differ. Because when you're changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, everything that you were dies. Everything. It is not possible for flesh and blood to enter into heaven. And so the rapture and that instantaneous change that is going to take place is absolutely no different than a bullet going straight through your brain and taking your head right off or a truck mashing you just like that on the highway in a, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye you are changed from whatever you were and so it's appointed that a man wants to die does not exempt people from death I'm telling you that the mercy and grace of God is death because it's the only problem that any of us have and that's this present life. It's the flesh. It's the only problem that we've got and God is going to deliver us from it forever. And the remedy is death. That's why the Lord said it's appointed that a man wants to die. It's the only way He could set us free from this prison that Paul was talking about when he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Why do you think that he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ? It's because he understood these things, and we should too. Death is not something to run from. Paul didn't. He ran toward it and wanted it. Why? Because... He was living in a prison, and the prison was the flesh. And so when the rapture takes place, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. And if you don't think that that's death to what you were, it's equally so as somebody that, that dies of whatever other kind of disease or accident. It's death. So, it's just a way of thinking. I, I know that I'm a little bit different in some of the things I say, but think about it. If, if it's usable, then use it. If it's not usable to you, then cast it out. And so Enoch is going to die one day. Um, <clears throat> at some point, he's going to have a glorified body. I don't know. But anyway, when it comes to the issue of Moses, 
and who would seemingly, at least seemingly, have the greatest impact in witnessing to the Jews because multitudes of Jews are going to be saved in tribulation period. And I can't think of any two people that would have a greater influence on their conversion than Elijah and Moses because they literally worship Moses. I mean, they, they thought of Moses and keeping the law and so forth, but if Moses is one of the ones that's saying, it's not of works. If Moses is preaching that, Moses uh, um, well that would have a tremendous impact well there's a, a passage in scripture I, I didn't write it down but I think it's Matthew 17 is where the transfiguration takes place and I think it's in Luke's gospel and again I didn't I didn't write it down in my notes here, but I think it's in in Mark's gospel or Luke's gospel. When that particular event takes place, uh, the transfiguration, uh, Moses and Elijah are seen by um, the disciples uh, talking to one another. And they're talking about his decease, talking about the death of Christ. They're talking about it. And the Bible says it's a vision. And some theologians, uh, Bible commentators, uh, put a difference between a, a vision and, and what's actually physically occurring. I don't want to get into all of that. I, I don't know. I, there's so much I do not know. Uh, but I think it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, if Moses appeared there, uh, he appeared before Christ died. And so the Bible is very clear that God, that he, he told him to go up on Mount Nebo and die. And he did. And God buried him in a place that no one knows, a sepulcher that no one knows about at all. And so Moses died. Well, what if God raised him from the dead after he buried him and he was actually there on that mount? Uh, uh, with Elijah. It would be before Christ was raised from the dead. Well, in the Old Testament, you had people who died and would be resurrected, and they did not receive a glorified body. The big problem with people about it being Enoch and or Elijah or Moses in Revelation chapter 11 is how can somebody with a glorified body die. Well, they couldn't. But you have to be resurrected after Christ to receive a glorified body. This is one of the reasons I believe that the multitudes that came out of the grave that is recorded in Matthew, uh, I think it's chapter 27, there's many 
that were in the graves arose from the dead after Christ's resurrection, it says. I don't believe those people died again. I believe that they probably, in all likelihood, ascended up into heaven with the Lord in Acts chapter 1. They could have been a part of the clouds that he ascended up with. I don't know. Arrayed in uh, white apparel. I don't know. But it's something interesting to think about. Again, you're not going to lose your soul forever because you think about these kinds of things. But the Bible is very clear about certain issues. And that is, when you receive a glorified body and you're resurrected from the dead after Christ is raised from the dead, you do not die again. Lazarus, whom God raised from the dead, died again. Why? Because he raised him from the dead before he was raised from the dead. And so if you were raised from the dead before Christ, then you could die again. And so, it could be that Moses, uh, even though he was maybe resurrected to be there on the Mount of Transfiguration, speaking of Christ's death, uh, he would be a candidate to die, just like the Lord said, it's appointed a man once to die. And so, if he was alive and raised from the dead before Christ was risen, then he would have to die again, just like everybody that was raised from the dead in the Old Testament had to die again. Now, I know that's complicated. I, I realize that. But you just have to understand that a lot of times I sit back there in my office and I have weird thoughts. But I don't think these are too weird. I'm trying to follow the Scripture and what the Bible has to say, and I don't think it's wrong to uh, wonder about these things. To me, this book is so amazing. And it's the greatest joy in the world to somebody who believes it to study the depths of it. Because it's about, it's God. It's, it's a desire to know Him. To understand Him. And to understand all of these things that He has sent to us in this love letter. And so I hope that uh, one of the benefits of getting into these kinds of things, it, it would stir, stir you up maybe to uh, study these things. Another thing that occurs simultaneously is the covenant, the seven-year covenant. It was a seven-year covenant then in close proximity of all of the things that occur at the beginning of the tribulation period. This would have to be one of them. And so for those that uh, go into the tribulation period, if they're reading the Bible, uh, that would be one of the indicators that they're in the tribulation period. No question about it. It's called that seven-year covenant. Another thing that we read about is the temple being rebuilt. It's going to be rebuilt. 
And technically, it has to be rebuilt very quickly after the church is taken out. Well, if the church was raptured today, in three and a half years, that temple would be standing. Because the Antichrist is going to go into the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. And so that temple has got to be built. And so if you do the study and do the research, and some people in our church have, you will know and you will find out that the Jews have put together uh, uh, prefabricated everything for building that temple very quickly. And the articles in the temple, uh, the menorah, already is, is done. Uh, ever so many million dollars worth of gold is in that thing. And it's over there right now. So a lot of things are, are set for uh, the tribulation period and the fulfillment of all these things. Another thing that has to be somewhat simultaneous with everything that we read about that seven-year block of time is the global finance situation. And the only way that could happen in terms of the fulfillment of Revelation 13 would be for the international banking system, Lucifer, whose mind is really behind everything that's going on. By the way, listen to me on this point. All of human intellect combined is not enough in the way of knowledge and wisdom to pull off a new world order. All of the intelligence in the whole world combined is not enough. The thing that's been going on has been way before people who were living today. A lot of the people that were instrumental in starting the international banking system are now dead. And so people alive today didn't have anything to do with what was going on back then. So there has to be a mind behind it moving everything in a certain direction and it's the mind of Lucifer. He's the God of this world and he hates God. And so the new world order is his counterfeit millennium. He counterfeits everything that Christ does. Because he has no choice because of what the Bible says in Isaiah 14 and verse 24. What God has said is going to take place. There's nothing that can change the Word of God. And so Satan studies this book. I can tell you that. I guarantee you that Satan can quote it from memory, from cover to cover, every word of it, and not get one thing wrong. He's got that kind of wisdom. God created him that way. And God does not take away those gifts that he gives somebody. Um, if he gives it to you, he gives it to you forever. And he gave them that wisdom. And God didn't take it away from him. But he's using every bit of it against God. The same thing with Balaam. Balaam was a prophet. He was a very real prophet that told the truth. But he was lost and he's in hell right now. 
But God did not take away his gift because he didn't use it right. But there's all kinds of people that have amazing gifts that God has given them that he wanted, he, he wanted them to use them for his glory, but they chose not to. And Balaam was one of them. Lucifer is another one. And so it's important to see these things uh, and, and to examine ourselves with whatever gifts that God has given us to make sure that we don't take those gifts and turn them around if it's uh, the ability to in music, uh, if it's uh, exceptional ability in mathematics or physics or whatever, that we do not take these gifts and start using them for the devil. No, we want to use them for the Lord's glory. These are just ways of thinking. But I'm telling you that the global finance is something that you can look at. And right now, I'm telling you on the news every week, they're talking about a reset. They're talking about getting rid of cash money. And everything going digital. And the government knowing every penny that you ever spend and for what. And that's where it's headed. That's what globalism is. That's what Satan is trying to do. And so you have to understand also that God put it all together for us in Matthew chapter 6. And I think it's verse 24 where he said the final showdown is going to be between God and mammon. That's one of the most important verses in the Bible. Because if you're not going to worship God, the only thing you can worship is money. And the reason you will is because it, it empowers the human will. If you've got the money, then you can make your will be done. You want to take a big cruise, you've got the money, you can do it. So if you don't have the money, you can't do it. But if you do have the money, you can do many things. Well, Satan knows that. And so he's capitalizing on exactly what God said, and he's using money by controlling all of the treasures of silver and gold. Daniel chapter 11 tells you about it. He controls every bit of it in the whole world. And so right now, uh, you may think that you have money. No, you don't. The one that controls everything that you've got is Lucifer. He's got it. So, we look on the world scene today and we can see the soon return of Jesus Christ because of global finance. And then every time you hear the mention of the New World Order, I mean it's in the news every day. New World Order, New World Order. How can a person read this Bible and not know that Jesus Christ is fixing to come back? The times and the seasons, that's what the Lord said to look, look at. Pay attention to times and seasons because this is what the church is supposed to do. Look at the times. Look at the seasons. When the fig tree has these tender leaves, you know that summer... That's a season is not at hand. 
Another thing that you look for is violence. The Lord said that it's going to be as it was in the days of Noah, and violence filled the earth. The other thing you're going to look for is immorality, and it's everywhere. We've got homosexuals parading all over the place by the thousands. And the last thing we'll mention is drugs and alcohol. In the 18th chapter of Revelation, it says this in verse 23, And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee, or thy merchants, uh, for thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. For by thy sorceries. Well, if you look that word up, and I'm not smart enough to know this otherwise, but the Greek uh, gives us an understanding of sorcery. It's uh, pharmakia. It's uh, pharmacy. Pharmaceuticals. If you watch the news... And I don't advise that you do, but if you do, you will see a new drug on the market every week, if not every day. And these hospitals over here, I had a nurse in a concealed carry class yesterday, and I said, I want to ask you a question. I said, do you think that doctors really control what goes on in the hospital anymore? And she looked at me and she smiled and she said, no. I said, who do you think controls it? She said the pharmaceutical company and the business people that are at the top of these hospitals and they control everything underneath in a dictatorial manner. They tell them what they've got to do if they want to keep a job and keep the money. She said, that's exactly the case. And she's a nurse over, she was at more regional, and now she's over at Cape Fear in uh, Fayetteville. And that's what she said. I'm telling you something, folks. The whole field of psychology, after that long development of the field of psychology since Sigmund Freud and his psychoanalysis method, ended up uh, trying to predict and control human behavior with drugs. And Satan is going to use it to control the entire human race. And he's going to use it to kill people. And I believe he's doing it. I believe that's what this COVID thing was. Listen, the diseases that came out of Wahoo, the pharmaceutical industry that jumps on top of this thing saying we've got the cure. If you don't believe that the New World Order thinkers want to get rid of the large numbers in the population, you are very deceived. And we're sitting ducks.
of that right now. And it's right here in the book. Something to think about. Our time's gone, I believe. You know, it's way gone. Gotta, gotta stop. Brother Bill, dismiss us, brother. Our Father, we thank you that you are in control. You know what's going to happen even next minute. We trust you, Lord. Those who know you as their own personal Savior to help our families to see the need for Jesus Christ in their lives. We pray too for our church family here that their son and their church family has never received the gift of God that they did that they would this day open their heart and ask Jesus to come in. We thank you that we have the teaching in this church that is the truth. We thank you that we have the preaching of the Word of God that will lead people to understand it and want to be saved. We pray that you bless the school that the Word goes forth there, Lord, that the children too could be saved before they're too old to enjoy the stuff of this world and not want to receive Jesus Christ. Bless your word, bless his people today. Help us to honor and praise the name of Jesus Christ. We're praying these things in his precious name. Amen. Mm.